Addiction. Addiction as a process is by essence relational. Its roots, its development, its sustainability, and finally its ending is embedded in family, community, and broader societal contexts. In order to recover, an addict needs to establish new bonds based on trust, respect, and love, and together with others, build unique pathways to a sense of belonging. If you are the intimate partner of an addict, there's also growing evidence that you play a major role in successful addiction recovery. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel, host and creator of this show. We're collaborating with the Taos Institute for this season of Positivity Strategist. Our topic is constructionist practices as social innovation. Our special guests are Taos Associates, who've contributed chapters to the SAGE Handbook of Social Constructionist Practice. Dr. Pavel Nepustil has first-hand experience in helping addicts recover through the lens of social construction. Pavel is from the Czech Republic and is speaking to me from Helsinki. He's a psychologist, a consultant, an educator in this field. He's co-authored a number of papers in Czech and English and maybe other languages that I'll find out. And his book is called Recovered Without Treatment, The Process of Abandoning Crystal Meth Without Professional Help. Pavel's chapter in the SAGE Handbook and the focus of our conversation today is entitled Mobilizing Relational Sources for Addiction Recovery. Pavel, by way of opening, welcome. And I'm wondering what may have catalyzed this field of professional pursuit for you. Is there something in your past, your culture perhaps, or relationship, something that comes to mind? A uh, question that I, I actually am asking uh, um, in uh, recent days quite often also, uh, because I've been in this field for quite a lot of years. It's uh, maybe 20, and it's even um, even longer time when I was uh, kind of fascinating with uh, with this uh, topic of addiction. Uh, it's uh, it's connected to my to my past, to my teenage years, to my life in twenties, uh, when I would say that I was in a subculture where the addiction was really prevalent. I mean, addiction in the sense of uh, how we traditionally understand understand it, so uh, alcohol and drugs and gambling. And, but uh, I have to say, I I'm, uh, was lucky uh, that I have some uh, that I was in the, the constant educational process. Uh, and I had a very stable uh, family background, and so I was in constant development. So I, I shifted from uh, from this period, even if I I don't don't regret regret this uh, this period of time in my life. Uh, some others from that time uh, got more stuck in the in the addiction, um, got into problems, and then then recovered. And I I, I developed further, and uh, I think that. The fact that addiction became my professional interest was kind of a natural process. I st started to study social work, 
And uh, the only thing that interested me was addiction. Uh, when we were asked to choose our externship uh, site, psychiatric hospital for addiction treatment was the first and only choice. And I chose it twice. <laughs> so then I studied psychology and, and, uh, and from the very first uh, year, I was looking for a work for a job uh, as a social worker in the drug and addiction services. So I, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't uh, considering another subjects, I have to say. Mm, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, Pava, when I read out the introduction, I was quoting you. And when I read um, out, you know, that addiction as a process is by essence relational and it's rooted in this broader context. And, you know, you've been exposed to that context um, personally and now you're working in it. And you said that one needs to establish new bonds with others to build a sense of belonging. What I intentionally left out of that paragraph was the sentence, severe addictions are necessarily connected with isolation. Would you explain that? I didn't understand that. Would you explain that sentence to me? Severe addictions are necessarily connected to isolation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's actually what I've been uh, experiencing uh, in my professional work and uh, maybe even uh, in my personal life, uh, like with my with my friends or mates, but also what is uh, what is in the in the lit- literature quite uh, prevalent uh, that uh, when we observe uh, people who get into like real troubles with addiction who are in the destructive process of addiction uh, they they uh, get very much in isolation and the isolation doesn't need uh, doesn't necessarily need to be uh, like uh, very visible we we can see we can see people that are uh, that are so sociable that are in in societies but uh, but their their life is um, restricted mm-hmm. and narrowed uh, to uh, to one particular pathway i was interviewing a lot of people who uh, who recovered from addiction people say that it's no longer fun uh, at the beginning uh, of the relationship with uh, some kind of um, pursuit, uh, be it uh, gambling or uh, using drugs, alcohol, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of joyful, it's kind of fun. But uh, at the end, it's it's not fun. It's uh, it's just a rigid, uh, painful life. Uh, when even if there are people around, one doesn't so much notice them or somewhat so doesn't so much appreciate their presence. Mm-hmm. Yes, I made that assumption, but I did want to hear it from you. Um, so again, for clarifying that, I'm really grateful. Um, what I've read of you, <laughs> I want to say how much I've enjoyed how you write about your work and the research you do. And in my view, <laughs> you have a wonderful way of explaining many of the theoretical underpinnings and the relationships between all these different um you know, psychological, philosophical, um, so, you know, social theories that come together. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, so I invite you to offer a general sense. So just generally, if you would, what attracts you about social construction 
as an orientation to life. Mm. Well, my meeting with social construction was uh, was very personal. I have to say, uh, it's it was it was a, a personal transformation. And when I'm thinking about it now, it uh, it was kind of life changing. I think it also helped in the in this transformational process that I. I was talking about in this de- development from like the the destructive li- lifestyle to to another. Um, uh, well, it's a, a liberating viewpoint. Mm-hmm. It's um, mm, it's the perspective that uh, uh, when you really uh, get it, when you feel, when you feel it uh, uh, bodily, <laughs> mm-hmm. then uh, then you then you can feel more free for creating your reality with others. Mm-hmm. So I want to share this, that this was in a, in a particular moment in my life when I met the, the firstly, the so, sociological studies in social construction, then the uh, psychological uh, studies. It really uh, made a huge impact. I think many people experience when, for example, they start to they discover some uh, spiritual pathway. Even I would say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not that I would be now like kind of a fanatic believer, <laughs> uh, but it <laughs> it kind of oriented myself towards uh, creativity, towards uh, new possibilities. Mm-hmm. I stopped uh, feeling uh, stuck in things. I I started to be more more open, more ready to interact with others. So so yeah, this this is the personal part. Mm. Mm. Interesting how you're saying freeing and creative. And I mean, for me, it was about really understanding the words that we use and what how one can put a different perspective on all of that. Um, yeah. So it, um, it is very freeing. I fully appreciate that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, great. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and actually, it very much connects to, uh, to addiction because I think I first started to work as a social worker in a drug and addiction service. And uh, quite uh, shortly, I started to move into this uh, social constructionist writings. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was at one side very helpful because I could see that there are other possibilities how to understand the phenomena. I wasn't very, I wasn't very satisfied with uh, how addiction is viewed in, in the professional world in general. Even if where I worked, it was an NGO uh, that was quite alternative, I would say. But still, there was some uh, some truths that were not uh, that. If if you would criticize or if you would uh, challenge it, you would be you, you would be sad. You should uh, realize where you work, or if you if you want to stay here, people mm-hmm. who work here doesn't talk like like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, before I went into this, uh, uh, I took this direction of social constructionism. I I wasn't able to uh, to challenge anything, but then. When I had this perspective, when I knew that the, all the truths are socially constructed, they have some history, and I went to the history, then I, I gained the arguments and I could, uh, I could enter to a discussion with colleagues that was not 
always very pleasant. Mm-hmm. That was so also uh, conflicted, and we had some conflicts. I think it, it was quite necessary in in the job. The, then I start developing uh, more and more. I it it helped me very much in my in my pathway until today. Yeah, yeah. Um, just on this topic of you know language and different interpretations, and how we can view different meanings and we can create new meanings together. Um, I just want to examine or not examine, that's the wrong word, but I want to just focus on something else I was reading in your chapter where you write that the term addiction is no longer needed. It's redundant because it's stigmatizing, right? It gives labels to people who don't really want to identify themselves as addicted. And so what I was reading, Pavel, is the new term is um, it's heavy use over time. So maybe you could talk to that um, for a moment for us. Yeah, this is very interesting. And um, I think I was uh, more quoting. This was not my, um, this is not the the main idea of the article that uh, addiction is redundant and is, and is no longer needed. It's uh, more uh, than I'm, I'm quoting a large study that was in done in European context, and uh, they they were scienti- scientists from many different disciplines, uh, and it took quite a long time. They they did many research and they did many many meetings, and their um, besides everything else, one of the purposes was to find out uh, some concept conceptualization of addiction and they came with this conclusion that was quite uh, uh, quite uh, surprising for me but in fact uh, some years ago i i also was quite uh, um, angry at the word addiction itself because uh, it has so strong connotation of uh, pathology mm-hmm. in the in the language but now I, I wouldn't. Uh, I personally wouldn't say that it's it's uh, not needed and it's not useful the concept. Now I, I use it quite quite uh, naturally, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it is it is useful because it's a kind of common sense. Uh, when I, I I can feel when I I have a tendency to be addicted or I I'm afraid that I would become addicted to something. I think it's it's like a human. Uh, it's normal human condition. What the research said uh, that I'm quoting there was the, uh, that uh, across the many definitions of addiction or uh, addictive behaviors or other conceptualization, there's this heavy use over time that shows as, uh, the, as the only like common characterization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the authors who wrote this uh, book um, from the research, they were more like epidemiologists and sociologists. Uh-huh. And but when when we when we look um, to um, uh, kind of alternative uh, approaches to addiction in psychology, for example, they they mention one uh, one more one more characteristic that is also very very prevalent, and it's that uh, it's. It's very hard to to stop the habit, uh, even if there are negative consequences. Mm-hmm. This is this is something that uh, that I think is uh, uh, also the important 
characterization of addiction mm -hmm. that uh, you uh, uh, even if you see the negative consequences of your behavior it's somehow uh, not only not easy to, uh, uh, to to stop doing it but it's almost um, like is the definition of addiction that uh, you 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 come into this behavior again and again, and 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 then we can say it's addiction because it's the it's it doesn't make any sense to uh, to say someone well you just so you just stop you can you can choose mm -hmm. if you want to continue in this what you are doing or not so mm -hmm. so just choose and stop. Mm -hmm. No, there, there is, there is some habitual component or compulsive component or some something like that. We, it's, uh, we of course have to be patient with the words, but uh, yeah. So um, just before we move on to you know the relational theory of addiction and what you have been learning and some of the stages that you find and what's being helpful with a couple of stories that you can share with us, I just want to ask one more question that's kind of related to language and and that is. Um, you know, I began to think about this and question myself, and I'm wondering, is it appropriate to say someone is drug dependent? Um, uh, there are, uh, for me, uh, there are, uh, well, at first, uh, it always depends on the context, of course. Sure, of course. <laughs> uh, but um, Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, there may be uh, two um, kind of problems with this. The first one is that, uh, um, like, who is saying that? Um, who is mm -hmm. saying that about whom? Like, uh, I, I don't think we should be calling someone addict or dependent uh, if, if he doesn't call such him or herself. Right. If you know what I mean, I do. Uh, so, um, I th because addiction is it's so personal, uh, personal, intimate things. Mm -hmm. Thing that uh, I I I don't think we should we should do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that that there's the con uh, um, concept of dependency. And I I have to confess, uh, it's uh, also a language thing, but in in another way, in Czech language, we we have only one word that uh, captures addiction and dependency, which is confusing. Uh, uh -huh. and in, in English, there are, there are two words, but uh, it's, always, it's always a kind of a puzzle for me when someone says uh, dependency and then addiction, uh, what, uh, what means what. Uh, but uh, of course, I, I think we should distinguish between, between uh, um, bodily, dependency or mm. uh, chemical dependency and then addiction as an as a complex phenomenon mm. that captures all your identity your uh, your lifestyle and so mm. on yeah that's a great that's a great reminder like who is who's using this language <laughs> who's saying mm. it from whose perspective right and what do we mean by it so that opens up all kinds of more questions. And perhaps you are full of questions too. So let's hear from the Executive Director of the Taos Institute, 
Dawn Dole. It is through relationships that we construct our worlds of meaning. What we understand to be real, rational, and good emerges from within that relational space. Constructionist practices like dialogue, narrative mediation, and appreciative inquiry build our relational capacity to create the world we want to live in. To learn more, visit TausInstitute.net. Back now to my interview with Dr. Pavel Napustil, who begins to talk to us about some of the social innovations that he's creating through this lens of social construction. So let's let's shift now and let's talk about specifically the work that you're doing and what you're discovering. Um, and that's the, you know, taking this relational view of addiction um, and what you're finding in, in the sense that um, that the addiction itself and then the development recovery is happening more in relationships and social networks. Um, and so let's talk about that and, and what you're finding. And then, you know, as we move into that, I'd like you to talk about some of the, um, the um, work that you've been doing with individuals and with groups too. So why don't, if you would, um, Pavel, if you would talk about the relational view of addiction, what that means, so we have a deeper understanding of that. Okay, so first of all, for me, when you say addiction, it, uh, it is actually a re- relation. Uh, mm-hmm. Addiction, in a sense, is we're talking about relation. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's this common sense uh, of addiction. Uh, I'm addicted to something, uh, some relationship between me and some uh, activity or substance or something like that. And unfortunately, the image of addiction in uh, in the dominant discourse, I would say, is that addiction is something in your brain. That addiction is something something inside the individual. But uh, of course, there are some changes, some neural uh, changes uh, happening. We can't so easily call these changes uh, pathological or, or disease mm-hmm. that are happening through uh, through addiction. Just one more sentence to that. When uh, when the neuroscientists look at the, what's happening in the brain while there is uh, this uh, uh, addictive process developing, uh, they find out that it has more to do with the learning uh, than with uh, pathology or disease. Mm-hmm. It more relates to what we know is happening when we learn something. Mm-hmm. Well, but... Um, you were asking about the, the relational, yeah. the relational component or the, the relational view, and for me, it was very important to find out that uh, addiction doesn't become like uh, from nothing, and that addiction is not caused by some entity like some drug or something like that. That there is already uh, some background. When when addiction starts, so we we can we can look at the the families. We can look at the trauma, for example, uh, when uh, there are uh, specific uh, interactional patterns between people or 
between the person and the world outside uh, that uh, that may make addiction more rapidly developed mm-hmm. after it starts. Um, I don't want to be so abstract. <laughs> uh, You're making good sense, I have to say. Thanks. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to use some. Um, what do you want? Some do you want to move into a specific example? Uh, the uh, the relational view of addiction has uh, more facets or more levels. So the one level is the uh, the relational background uh, that makes a person more maybe vulnerable uh, mm-hmm. to addiction. And uh, we already talked about the uh, isolation that that can be caused by addiction. But uh, there is also big research on many people who uh, start to develop an addictive process. They already are kind of marginalized or isolated, or they they at least have this feeling mm-hmm. of being marginalized, being isolated. So there are, there are some there are some issues in in relating to others uh, that makes them more ready to to jump into some addictive process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and uh, when 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 we for example look at uh, alcohol addiction or uh, like we uh, most of us uh, drink alcohol and uh, it's in our culture it's it's so prevalent of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in teenage years, it's so prevalent. Um, uh, so many teenagers experiment with alcohol, and it's so natural that they do it because they they need to experiment. They need to uh, observe the world. They need to find their way in the world. But uh, only uh, some part of them uh, go further. And they become more addicted when you say go further. Yeah, 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 go further. They 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 start to to develop the habit. Right. Uh, they don't stop after after three beers, but they drink more, and they don't they don't take a two weeks break after they have the terrible hangover, but they drink another day or day after. Mm. Uh, so so they start to develop this this habit, and uh, this these teenagers we we can uh, suspect that these teenagers are more already in uh, in a relational way that they find the the alcohol helping them somehow in moving in life forward that they find something very very important for them to be with with friends or with parents and and so on i actually would use my example uh, when i firstly drank alcohol in my 14 when i was 14 it was a it was a blast. It was something I discovered a new world because I I had very much problems to attach to uh, to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had problems with uh, communicating with uh, girls. I actually had a speech problem, uh, so uh, it was very, it was quite hard for me to uh, to be in these teenage years and not to be able to communicate very clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I drank alcohol and I found out that now I can, I can be uh, amusing. I can um, people are smiling at me, and so it was a really discovering something new. And I I wanted to repeat this experience, even if some of my friends uh, didn't 
find it so interesting or so impressive. Uh, so I, I went really, I went really further. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And and then so so this is this is one thing. Then then uh, when the when the addiction is developing even more, uh, then we could we could observe that one jumps into kind of a world of addiction or culture of addiction. Yeah. It's uh, actually um, William White's uh, term, culture of addiction, yeah. which means that uh, you not only start to have this habit to drink alcohol or, or gambling, but uh, you also go to different places where, where it's uh, quite uh, probable that you will have alcohol or you, you are around people that uh, mm. are in the same page you start to do some uh, activities that are close to that. So there is a whole world that you are in and it changes your identity, changes your lifestyle. Mm. And uh, then it's quite difficult to uh, move out of it. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I could ask you to go on and and you continue your story, but I'm wondering whether or not you might like to um, shift to talk about what you're learning as from your research and the experiences that um, that you're conducting with natural recovery from addiction. Yes. You know, there are a couple of stories that you could share about that. So um, how do you feel about moving to that? Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, at one point of time when I was already uh, five or six years in the drug and addiction services, uh, I was saying to myself, well, there are a lot of people coming to us and we don't know if we are helping them or not because uh, they are coming back and if they are not coming back, we don't know what's happening with them. Uh, but actually, I, I also knew from my personal life that many people uh, don't go to treatment services, don't go to counseling, they don't use professional services, but still they kind of uh, they live life successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started a dissertation project on this topic and I chose uh, crystal methamphetamine as the drug that is, was most interesting for me because it's the uh, most uh, prevalent problem drug in uh, the Czech Republic, like in US, it's, uh, it's opiates. Uh, mm-hmm. here, uh, here opiates are not, are not so prevalent, but crystal methamphetamine is, is very, uh, very prevalent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was. I wanted to find out how people recover without professional help. And I actually put ad- advertisement to uh, newspapers and to social media that I'm looking for people who stopped using crystal meth after some prolonged period of intensive use. And I got many responses. So I did 20 interviews. And it was... It, uh, like first, I met wonderful people. Uh, I I have to honestly say that I really enjoyed the interviews. They were very inspirational people. I don't know if uh, I, I guess it was uh, also because of what they went through and what changes they did in their lives, but really in, inspirational. Then I uh, and then, then I started to kind of look at the at their process of recovery, and I I don't think that there is some special process of natural recovery. I think it's the, they are doing the one process of relational recovery. Uh, us, the people that are in uh, hospitals or in therapeutic communities, or they are going to psychotherapy, because all of them also had some 
some social support that uh, was very meaningful for them while doing the, the journey. So at first I thought I would meet some uh, solo uh, solo people like uh, like uh, I'm doing it on my own, you know, that, that this attitude that they mm-hmm. are doing it on their own. I, I made it on my own. But I met people who didn't go to services, they didn't have therapists, but they had friends, they had partners, they read books, uh, they had dogs. <laughs> so <laughs> so they, they were in many relationships that they were, that, that were helping them. They moved from, they were in this culture of addiction and they moved to different culture. And what is the most uh, important lesson for me that uh, every time the culture of, we can call it the culture of recovery, and in every case is different. It's the is the point that you you are leaving the culture of addiction. You think you are going somewhere, but you you never know where are you going, and nobody can tell you where are you going. If someone tells you uh, you will be there and there, they are lying because they they don't know. <laughs> the, every pathway is unique. Mm. And it was very visible at the 20 people I, I talked to that everyone was really original and everyone ended up in some other place. But the, the place has something something similar. The places where, where they've been or where they were going into. And it was kind of feeling of um, feeling connected or mm. feeling, uh, feeling, um, feeling at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know what I mean, uh, a sense of belonging, right? Sense of belonging, yeah. sense of belonging, and and a sense that I belong here, and mm-hmm. I also participate in this uh, in this world, uh-huh. in this community, in this family. It was very meaningful. Mm-hmm. It was very very important. It was wow. it was different wow. than the the feeling before addiction. Mm-hmm. before addiction, the the feeling was very often. Well, I don't, I don't belong. I don't know, or I, I am okay. I'm now in this family, but I don't feel very, very well, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not included in some important things that are going on. I'm a bit excluded. I don't know where I belong. This was the common feeling before addiction. Mm-hmm. Then, in the addiction culture, you also have this feeling of belonging. It's yeah. important to say that you, you have it and, and it makes sense that people want to stay there because they, they found something. They found people who, who understand them. Uh, and, but then when you want to move in another direction, you have to, you have to leave this, uh, which, is, which might be sad and which might make you want to come back again. But then when you find another place in your life where you feel you belong and you participate and you feel at home, that's that's very that's very good feeling. Yes. I think it says something about and I'm generalizing here about, you know, I think most of us want to feel that we are valued and we have a contribution to make. Yeah. And that we um, we are part of a community of some kind. Yeah. And in fact, in your city of, um, how do you say it, Brno, where you live live in the Czech Republic, um, you're working with your um, um, city, aren't you, 
or basing something on this, what you've explored in the city of Manchester, where there's, there's this organization that is uh-huh. helping addicts, or I don't know if you say reformed addicts, you know, I'm still stuck in an old language here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, why don't you talk about that? And then I also see that, Pavel, as one of the examples of an innovation in this area that you're working in. So, you know, giving people the opportunity to participate, to contribute, and to be of feel trusted. I mean, all those kind of wonderful things. So maybe would you like to say more about that, please? Yeah, sure. Thank, thanks for uh, thanks for taking this uh, topic uh, because it uh, is very much connected. Well, so uh, one way of how you can you can participate, how you can contribute when you had uh, uh, when you had some uh, difficult period in your life that was, for example, fulfilled with uh, addiction or with uh, also with criminal activities and so on is that you. Uh, use this um, uh, this period of life, this experience as an expertise. Yeah. Uh, and we, there is mm-hmm. a long tradition in this, of course. Uh, the the wounded healers and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, peer peer workers. The, what I recently started to be uh, really focusing on is how to support uh, people who were in addiction. Uh, how to support them to uh, become helpers uh, for others. Uh, there was a great inspiration that you mentioned in uh, in the Manchester in UK, uh, where uh, they introduced us to actual American concept of recovery coaches and how they work uh, with them. And there are some organizations that are run only by people with their uh, self-experience with addiction uh, or they kind of collaborate with professionals. And this is what, what interests me now the most. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I was writing the article, I, uh, it, was, it was even before the practice that I started to do now, uh, and which, which I'm very excited about. And it's that uh, uh, as I'm a psychotherapist and I move to be more uh, working with families and couples, I invite uh, people with their own experience with addiction to sit with me in the in the session with a couple or family. Wow, that's uh, great. Uh, which is which is a really fascinating process, and yeah. uh, I'm about to uh, be discussing with the city council also if they would uh, support this uh, somehow because I have a private practice, so we we are doing it uh, we are doing it only for people that can pay. And, and also using the uh, open dialogue approach in this or the, the reflective dialogues mm. uh, is, is very helpful. So it, it looks that uh, there is the couple, there's me and then the recovery coach. We, we start to have the conversation at, and at some point of time, we just turn to each other with, between me and the recovery coach and we exchange some, some ideas. Uh, and the and, recovery and the re- coach is the person who um, has been in, in addiction and yes, is now yes. um, shadowing you or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of my co- co-therapist, would say. Yeah. Oh, and, good. And, 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 uh-huh. and, and, they have, and they have some training and they have some, That's some great. basic training on, uh, on listening and, uh, and uh, uh, making connection with other people and, and so on. And is this uh, something you're trying to do with the with the city, so that you um, you do more of this work? You you get you can train more recovery coaches. 
Yeah, now the city now the city uh, supported uh, the training uh, for recovery coaches. We had the first round of one year training training for recovery coaches, and now a second round will start. That's great. Uh, so, and we we just started with this practice. So we we had uh, I don't know twenty sessions maybe with the uh, with the recovery coaches. But uh, I also was asking feedback from the from the couples, and uh, we even recorded mm. the the sessions and then kind of analyze it and and it's it's wonderful it, it makes because it's not so much about what the recovery coach says mm. but the fact that they are there mm. it makes the difference uh, because there uh, there suddenly is someone that uh, at least one of the couple can uh, can relate to very Absolutely. much on a personal level Absolutely, and and then uh, the the topics can be discussed that uh, mm. was was not discussed before that mm. the, that the couple doesn't talk mm. about in their in their personal life. Mm. So uh, I think maybe in in my voice now it's also could be heard that I'm very excited about this practice. I love that. <laughs> I don't have to ask you, what are you excited about? Because <laughs> I can definitely hear it. So that's great. Um, and I think that, you know, says something to me too, that it's so honouring of the person who's there seeking some support and some help perhaps, that they're feeling seen and heard um, by somebody who really gets them. Yeah. And, and it's not an and, expert telling them, you know, making suggestions or imposing possibilities or, you know, exactly, steps exactly. onto them. Yeah. That's great. Yes, because I I hated this, I have to confess. When uh when we had a, a session, I was there alone and there was a couple or family mm-hmm. and uh, and and I, I felt it's good session. We are discussing important topics and then at the end they asked me and but so now tell us is she really addicted uh is it really so that she cannot control what she's doing you know it was the the last minutes of the session and i didn't want to be in this role of the expert that says mm-hmm. well it's so and so 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 it, it was also something that urged me for this but can i add one one thing to this practice what i also learned Sure. It's, it's not only the people with their own personal experience with addiction that are very useful to have in the session, but also people uh, who had the role of a relative or a family member of someone with addiction uh, problems. And actually, uh, in uh, there were uh, some sessions where I was there with a, a partner of someone with addiction problems, and we had a couple, and then it was so relieving for the for the partner of the person with addiction that said well now there's someone who really understands me because this uh, the the family is very much overwhelmed with the addiction problems sometimes they are in a maybe even worse uh yeah. worse uh, condition than than the people with with addiction and there is uh, there's no much help for them. Mm-hmm. Many services are focusing only to people with, mm-hmm. to the individuals with addiction. And when someone from the family calls, they say, well, you have to tell your partner or your son or your daughter that they should call alone. Mm-hmm. We, we cannot help you like this. Mm-hmm. And that circles right back to the fact that it's relational processes, right? It, all these things yeah. happen um, in and of relationships. 
talking of relationships and meaning making, here's another opportunity to hear from the Executive Director of the TAS Institute, Dawn Dole. We all search for ways to live a meaningful life. At the Taos Institute, we believe meaning can be found through sharing personal histories with others. Social constructionist practices support this form of discovery. Visit taosinstitute.net to find out more. Just as we close up, Pavel, I want to say thank you so much. It's been really inspiring for me. And I wondered if there's something, um, and I'm sure it's going to be very inspiring for the listeners, I hope. And on the show notes page for this episode, people will, um, the listeners can find links to you and to some of your work. So um, go to positivitystrategist.com slash podcast, and you will be able to access some of the resources that um, Pavel can share with you. But um, as we close out, is there something else that you've remembered or you would like to add right now, Pavel? I don't have anything in mind now. Just I want to thank you for uh, for leading this uh, conversation. Uh, it was a very nice talk with you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pavel, very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. I found that a powerful and meaningful conversation with Pavel Nepustil. Next time, my conversation is with Dr. Chertot Gill, who speaks to me from the UK on the topic of the innovative work that she's doing in evaluating education. Till then, this is Robin Stratton-Burkessel of Positivity Strategist. 